This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We have been talking for several weeks about the financial mess in Greece, but there is another one going on as well, and almost right in our backyard. Puerto Rico missed a $94 million payment on its debt off of its public finance corporation. So the concern has become, is Puerto Rico going to be another Greece or maybe a part of it? To take a look at the growing issues there, we are joined on the phone by Frank Sheffroth, who is the director of the Center for State and Local Government Leadership down at George Mason University in Virginia. Also joining us on the phone is Ann Kruger, who's a senior research professor of international economics at Johns Hopkins University. Frank and Ann, welcome to our show. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you both. And I'll start with you. I mean, Puerto Rico, if from everything I read, they have been walking uh, quite a bit of a tightrope lately. So what has it been that has really put them in this spot? Well, it's a buildup over several years, as these things often are. It's nothing new. Uh, but they have been running uh, fiscal deficits, borrowing to cover part of it, uh, doing other things, to the, running down cash balances and so on, and they could no longer do much of the rest of it so that they're facing a situation uh, where they are cash short and where they have difficulty. Their debt level is also high enough, so it raises questions as to what can be done there. Uh, you were involved in a report that, that showed how uh, bad the problem has become uh, Really, where does, in some respects, the fault lie at this point? Well, as usual in these circumstances, everybody's somewhat at fault. Yeah. Uh, certainly, uh, Puerto Rico has, uh, year after year, done a few things thinking that that would balance the books, but it hasn't. Uh, and uh, there has been, I think, excess expenditure there and uh, an inability uh, for a variety of reasons to uh, collect taxes. Uh, the fault also lies with the United States. Puerto Rico is not a state and it is not a country, and it has, in that sense, fewer options. Uh, and uh, in, until 1996, uh, the U.S. government gave Puerto Rico t- or Port- American corporations uh, tax exemption for their profits in Puerto Rico. In 1996, that it was voted that that was, uh, incentive would gradually be withdrawn, and it was ending in 2005. That cost a lot of jobs. Uh, there have been other things. The oil price increase uh, for Puerto Rico, which is very oil dependent for its power, uh, raised the cost of the electric company uh, unbelievably, and I could go on, but those are two <laughs> main ones. Uh, Frank, from, from your background in, in government, where has the, the government in Puerto Rico failed in the last few years? Well, they failed, uh, and covered some of it. Where they failed is trying to figure out a tax system. They have failed in um, Limiting benefits right now. Some benefits for people make not working more attractive than working. Unemployment benefits you're talking about. Yes. Unemployment benefits are really better than working for the kinds of wages that are available for most people in the territory. So you, in effect, have a government policy that tends to discourage work and encourage spending. I think that's the most significant issue. So then what really needs to be, I mean, are we talking about needing to affect change within the government itself? Does, uh, you know, as a territory, does the U.S. need to step in and and help out? What what do we need to do here? Well, well, first off, I agree with uh, Frank that uh, 
<clears throat> there's a, a lack of incentive to work, but part of the problem and part of the reason for that is that Puerto Rico is subject to minimum wage laws, and minimum wage law requires $7.25 an hour. Now, relative to the poorest country uh, on the mainland, uh, that minimum wage is less than half of the average wage or median wage in the country. In Puerto Rico's case, it's 88%. It's very high. And uh, it isn't only that work is discouraged, because at that minimum wage, uh, the benefits which are mostly mandated by the U.S. government, uh, food stamps, affordable care, etc., um, do mean that income is higher. He's quite correct about that. But until Puerto Rico can compete in industries such as tourism that provide jobs, there's a problem that way, too. There's also a very large informal sector, which is part of the problem, but also uh, something that reflects some of these other issues. Frank, go ahead. Yeah, right. The the other part here that's now is uh, it's fairly clear that sometime, probably within the next 10 days, Puerto Rico is going to um, not be able to to meet some of its fiscal commitments and pay bondholders. So there's a default in the offing. Because Puerto Rico is in Rod Serling's twilight zone, it's it's neither it's not a state. Uh, it, it affects each of its 78 municipalities as well as the territory. It does not have the option of allowing its municipalities or its big public utility to file for uh, federal bankruptcy, as all the states are allowed. So, it's in an area where really no other state could be in. It has no way to have access to the federal courts to figure out how to allocate its uh, unmeetable debts amongst all its bondholders. So this is a problem because unlike in any other state, there's a real attraction to purchase municipal bonds issued by uh, Puerto Rico. So they're held by hundreds of thousands of taxpayers throughout the country. but they're not going to be able to pay them. So you need an orderly process to do that, such as we've seen in Detroit, Stockton, and other cities in the United States. But legally, they don't have access to that right now. So we don't have a method to, in effect, uh, rework the outstanding debts. And we have an acknowledgement from Puerto Rico that a default is now imminent. Yeah, I could have just added that. I agree with that. And the Puerto Rico Puerto Rican authorities have asked uh, the U.S. Congress to pass uh, to enable them to be eligible for Chapter Nine treatment, which is what Detroit got, and so on uh, at the municipality level, but preferably also at the uh, Commonwealth level. So then the correlation actually, it really shouldn't be uh, Puerto Rico to Greece, but it should be uh, Puerto Rico to Detroit at this point, correct? Yeah, I, I think that's really true. Yes. Um... Greece, actually, I saw a chart this morning from Bloomberg. Greece is really much healthier in terms of debt than the United States. And we throw these things out of context. But I think putting it closer to Detroit. Detroit was overwhelmed with debt, and it took 18 months dealing with hundreds of thousands of creditors for uh, for the U.S. bankruptcy judge, Stephen Rhodes, to work out something so that Detroit could get back on its feet and have a future. But the critical thing was, as soon as that suit was filed, it meant that Detroit was protected. So if you dialed 911, the city could respond. That Correct. is, it protected to provide essential services. There's not a mechanism legally available right now to do that for Puerto Rico. That's the problem. 
Well, but again, chapter, putting, letting them be eligible under Chapter 9 would change that, and Congress explicitly exempted them. I do not know why. Uh, but, but basically, Congress has included them in things like minimum wage, which hurt them, and then <laughs> excluded them from things like Chapter 9, which in this case, in essence, could help them. I do agree it's like Greece in some regards. Greece, I think, has higher debt to GDP, GNP, and so on. Uh, Greece has fiscal imbalances, which they partly corrected, but they have a structure of the economy which is perhaps even less conducive to growth than Puerto Rico's if they could get over this hump and do a few things. And the other thing, of course, is that Greece is in the euro area but does, or at least thinks it does, have an option to leave it, whereas Puerto Rico is dollarized and in the second federal district of New York, which both helps it because there's FDIC and hurts it because, of course, it can't use the exchange rate as a mechanism. We're joined on the phone by Ann Kruger of George uh, Johns Hopkins University and also Frank Shafroth of uh, George Mason University. If you'd like to jump in and have a comment or a question about what's going on in Puerto Rico, you're more than welcome. The number to give us a call is 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. And then in terms of the structure of the economy in Puerto Rico right now, uh, is is tourism really the, the, the number one option for them to try and build right now? Or are there other pieces down there in Puerto Rico that they have the opportunity to maybe build up in, in the coming years? Well, uh, they have the opportunity. They will have the opportunity for much more if they can get their uh, policies domestically and the stuff international or domestically and with the mainland uh, sorted out. Uh, tourism is certainly a visible one where there should be much more tourism than there is. Uh, after all, it isn't. There's enough English spoken. Uh, there's no passport requirements. It's under U.S. law. There are many attractive features of Puerto Rico, but uh, a lot of tourism is at least uh, one, tourism is one of the more price conscious things there is. And if you try, Puerto Rico has done some things well, in, or in Puerto Rico, some things have done well in the high-end tourist market, but in the uh, packages for families coming for a week and things like that, they really can't compete uh, with neighboring islands in Mexico, where the minimum wage is much lower, and where indeed, uh, therefore, uh, they, there can be much more attractive packages. Uh, the last number I saw, and this may not be exactly correct, is that the minimum wage isn't much above a dollar an hour in some of these other islands, and $7.25 and cents an hour yeah. in tourism is much much higher frank then what do you see as the most pressing need right now mm-hmm. to to be to be put as uh, as top of the list in puerto rico the most pressing thing is to work out some way to help the island deal with uh, all its debtors it's got hundreds of thousands of them uh, it can't everyone understands they can't be paid but uh, absent some process with a federal judge to oversee it so that you can protect and ensure critical public services are not interrupted, uh, you're going to have chaos. There's no other way. (laughs) The the headlines in today's bond buyer says Puerto Rico faces legal chaos. That's exactly what happens absent a process available to, uh, I don't care whether it's General Motors or Chrysler or New York City, You've got to have some way to ensure what we had on on the day Judge Rhodes accepted Detroit's filing for bankruptcy. What that filing said is, 
It would ensure that essential public services would continue to protect the citizens of Detroit, and there would be a timeout during which you would oversee a way how the city could propose to deal with its tens of thousands of creditors. So I can't think of a more pressing issue for Puerto Rico than to be treated really the way Europe has dealt with Greece or the United States has provided options for Detroit, uh, for Stockton, for uh, Jefferson County, Alabama. It's a legal process to ensure protection of American citizens. And Well, I agree with that. Uh, I think that the, there's no doubt that it would, they would benefit from Chapter 9. The risk is, of course, that uh, without it, then every creditor can go to court, and it will be just like a bank run in the sense that everybody will be claiming, and then it depends on what the judges do in the absence of any such law. And that's why we have a good bankruptcy law in the U.S. Uh, for private companies, too, is because otherwise uh, the first, there's a rush as creditors fear things will go wrong, and each one wants to get to the uh, get what is left of the assets first. Uh, so I, I agree with that. I do think, however, that is, we're forgetting uh, that Puerto Rico has not really had any growth for 20 years. And a significant part of that was due to the removal of the, uh, the tax privileges. Uh, other things have gone on in Puerto Rico's, and I think at the same time as they do that, if they want any hope for the longer term, uh, they do need to do some things domestically to make business, doing business there more attractive as well. We are also joined on the phone uh, from Puerto Rico by Professor Rosario Rivera Negron, who is an economist at the University of Puerto Rico Kaye. Uh, Professor Negron, great to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on as well. Thank you for the invitation and good morning to everybody. Good morning. Uh, you obviously see this uh, firsthand going on right now. How serious of an issue are we talking about? This is a very serious issue. We're talking about an economic crisis that has, that has been 40 years in the making. And we have faced several warnings since the 70s that Somewhere in the future, our economy was going to be facing what it's facing right now. And, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I am a little sick. <clears throat> it's okay. Uh, what I have been seeing is just that the result of that, those warnings from the 70s, those, those uh, signals that our economy would be facing structural problems in the near future if we didn't add if we didn't embrace some structural reforms that needed to be embraced back in the 70s and the 80s, and uh, the fact that our economic model was facing facing some some kind of uh, weakening that needed precisely the the what the what the Congress did that was issued Section 936 to sustain our economic model, and what happened is that we just relies so heavily on Section 936 on, on public debt to sustain our economy that somewhere in the way we were going to fail miserably, and we just did. We depended heavily on Section 936. We depended heavily on public debt to sustain government and to sustain some of the economic activity. And what uh, Ms. Kruger says is, 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 is true. We, we have been facing years and years of a stagnating economy, very weak growth rates that didn't basically depend on our, on our real economic structure, and now we are facing basically a 14% decline on GMP, which is our main uh, economic indicator. So, so that, it's very serious, and now it's it's been uh, accompanied by the real problem that we are facing with our fiscal situation. 
So then I will ask the, the same question that I asked uh, of uh, both Ms. Kruger and Mr. Shafroth is, what do you see being down there as really the, the number one thing that needs to be taken care of immediately to at least get the process started of a turnaround? Well, what, what needed to be done a few years ago and still needs to be done is that the government needs to present itself and our creditors and the, the public and the citizens with a credible economic, long-term economic plan and a new economic model. We don't have an economic model since the 40s. That's the, that's, that's the reality here. Yeah. We haven't embraced the, the development of a new economic model since we were giving the Section 936 and since we embarked on that industrialization process. And we don't have that, that mentality of, okay, this, is, this needs to be redone. We need a new institutional agreement. We need new structures. We need new institutions. We need new laws. We need new incentives. And we are still in uh, politicians and the administration Either party, either political party, still thinks that we can arrange our economy when we had a, the, 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 the circumstances of the 60s and the 70s, and that's not the case. Yeah. And what needs to be done is that. And neither, gov- neither administration since basically the 90s has presented uh, to, to, the, to our citizens and to the country Neither administration has presented a credible economic plan and the, and the reformulation of the economic model. Without economic activity, as you may know, there are not going to be any revenues. And we have been seeing the fact that the fiscal crisis is feeding on the economic crisis. So we need to tackle both, but we, we have to, to move forward uh, from the point that, okay, in, in order to get out of the crisis, we need to promote growth. Yes, but how? One of the other uh, things that we brought up uh, earlier before you uh, joined us, uh, Professor Negron, was the fact that with the the unemployment rate the way it is, and with the structure of uh, unemployment benefits the way they are set, basically at uh, at the same level as here in the United States, it it really is in part an incentive to not want to get a job, and it's also a part of an incentive for companies in Puerto Rico to not hire more people because of the unemployment benefits they may have to be involved in at a later date it's it's like that we have we have to embark and and i can i tend to agree in some in principle with uh with what is said in the kruger report what it's popularly called here uh about the labor reform uh the thing is that you have to take into account a few things with the labor market in puerto rico and the way we measure uh, our unemployment participation rate and so on and so forth. Uh, and I, I guess it was mentioned in the in the bondholder meeting last Monday. We have a few distortions here with the labor market. The social assistance, the welfare uh, program, as it's designed, as it is designed, it's not an incentive to look for for a job. Because you lose your your assistance if you look for a job, so or if you get a job. So when you when you tend to to make a comparison between well, where do I gain more? Basically, people gain more in the in the welfare assistance programs than taking a job with the minimum at the minimum wage. But the participation rate is forty percent, and we, if, if you have those incentives and disincentives. Uh, the fact is that 
people do more and gain more with the welfare program and working because they are working. A lot of people are working in the informal economy. So yeah. that's a distortion to our to our labor market uh, indicators and the and the real situation of the labor market because there is a lot of work being done in the informal sectors. And one thing that has that hasn't been done and that needs to be done is how do we uh, create some kind of incentive to draw those those people that are really really working as uh, professional or service professionals that are not doing drugs or armed trafficking because that's another aspect of our informal economy. But how do you draw them to the formal sector with proper incentives? Mm-hmm. And that hasn't been tackled either. And and, and that's why I have a, a, a few problems with the, with the way this is uh, uh, discussed in the report because it, it doesn't relate to the fact that unemployment and labor market are distorted by our informal economy and, at the same time, by the welfare programs. I know the welfare programs are mentioned in the Kruger report, yeah. but they need to be mentioned in context and together and along with the fact that the informal economy has a great deal of our workers doing real job that needs to be accounted in the real economy and we haven't devised the incentives to do so and then draw them to the formal economy and then draw from them income tax and all the taxes that we need in the Treasury Department. And I'll let you re- uh, respond to that. Well, I don't disagree, and I think we did mention the informal sector in the report. Uh, and on top of that, there are things that Puerto Rico has done that made the welfare, make the welfare payments and the wages in the formal sector higher than they need be. And there aren't going to be that many more jobs in Puerto Rico until something is done about that bottleneck, among other things. One of the things that we right. also commented on uh, was that, indeed, uh, in the World Bank's doing business, they rank Puerto Rico along with countries, in the, and especially in the Caribbean, uh, but they rank Puerto Rico, I don't know, 160th or something out of 180 in the difficulty of uh, registering property. They rate Puerto mm-hmm. Rico in the ease of doing business 49th overall, whereas the U.S. mainland is ranked 7th. Uh, obviously, there's a great deal that could be done that would make yes. uh, some, business, some business more attractive if indeed some of those bottlenecks were uh, removed. There are things Puerto Rico could do even on the labor front. Puerto Rico requires formal sector employers uh, to pay a 13-month wage, for example, uh, which, of course, is not required in the, on the U.S. mainland. And that's one thing that raises wages there, even above the minimum wage on the mainland, uh, where mm-hmm. per capita incomes are much higher. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. and, and has a point. And uh, the the minimum wage is just one of of those uh, things that may be addressed. Um, but there are still a lot of labor laws and and <clears throat> regulations that need to be tackled as well in order to make business investments and job creation more attractive. That is that is that is absolutely correct. Uh, the thing is that when when that is said and done, we need to take into account that. Uh, some of the things that affect the cost of living in Puerto Rico that were mentioned in the in the report as the capital loss, as for example, um, are, are are in the hands of the Congress. So we might just be able to to work around uh, an exemption to the minimum wage uh, as, as a, in terms of local legislation, maybe. But the cost of living will still be high if the capital loss are not. Uh, removed, for example. Right. 
So th- you see, you see what I mean. There are a lot of well, well. Let's put it the opinion. following way. No. I don't think of it as an all or none thing. I think of each thing that raises costs, cutting off a few more jobs. And I think in other countries that's been the way to think of it. And as you mm-hmm. remove the rigidities, and as you remove some of those extra costs, and as you get the welfare under control, <clears throat> both helps the budget. And brings more people into the formal sector. Uh, there's Correct. no one thing that will do it, and there's no one thing that is that's the cause. Right. It's multiple. Take that's a little. Right, that's right. Absolutely a, right. Uh, take also fi- finally before we let you all go a little bit of a historical perspective here, uh, uh, Frank. Your uh, great grandfather uh, was one of the people involved in. Uh, Puerto Rico becoming a U.S. territory many, many years ago. Uh, mm. So you obviously have a a, a, a a very close personal involvement in this issue. I guess at th- I guess at this point, uh, seeing seeing a reworking of, of how the U.S. government views Puerto Rico is, is very important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's important because he was the uh, co-author of the law. My uh, son-in-law and daughter were married in Puerto Rico because. When Puerto Rico became a U.S. territory, uh, my son-in-law's grandparents became U.S. citizens. They moved to upstate New York, and lo and behold, our uh, respective, uh, their their grandchild and my daughter met and uh, got married, as I said, in San Juan. So, yes, uh, I have a lot of connections to Puerto Rico, and right now I think of Puerto Rico as like a badly wounded uh, individual who has to be yeah. given access to an emergency room and has to be protected yeah. from the creditors and yeah. given time to do some of these things these two distinguished professors have discussed. You can't be subject to attacks and have you know taking the time to do things like in the report or as each of these two wonderful experts have explained. So that that's critical. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.